We're continuing our series, uh, starting point series, and we have one sermon left. That is Easter Sunday. We're going to bring this whole series in for a landing. And so today uh, we're going to kind of kind of go back and and review a couple of things. And and, and I just want to start off with this. My parents took me to church every time the doors were opened. Um, And in our church, the nursery was at the back. So if you're thinking about new life, if we had a second story back there over the living room and a window that goes almost the whole way of the second story, that's where the nursery was. So my my earliest memories of church are standing at that window and seeing the pe- preacher behind the pulpit. And we had a big honking wooden pulpit because this was a fundamental Baptist church and you have to have the biggest, most intimidating pulpit possible. So I remember seeing him and then I remember looking over and then in that church, the organ was on this side. And so I would look down and I would see my mom playing the organ. My mom started playing the piano uh, for a local church when she was 14 years old. And for the next 73 years, she, she played either the, the piano or the organ in whatever church she was attending. And so I started thinking about this. I said, well, I started as, in, as a youth minister when I was 19. And so if I'm going to catch my mom 73 years of service, I have to serve until I'm 92 years old in a local church. And I intend to do that if the Lord leaves me on the planet that long. Um, so 37 more years to go in case you're counting. 37 more years and I'll get to catch my mom, Lord willing. Now, I tell you that because... My legacy was the local church. Mom built that into me. I've always wanted to be a part of the local church, and I want to do that the rest of my life. So it's only natural, the fact that I was in church every time the doors were open, I would believe what my parents taught me about God, about religion. I would believe what the church taught me as well. When I was six years old, I asked Jesus to be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. And, um, and that changed my whole uh, trajectory of my life. Now, as I got older, I began to question some of the things in the church. I never questioned the things about God. I never questioned the things about the Bible. I questioned the things about the way the people ran the church. Because in my house, every Sunday, we would go home and we would talk about, well, if the preacher said something and it wasn't in the Holy Bible, then that was the traditions of men. If the preacher said something that, that, that um, was from the scripture, then we believe that was the commands of God. And I remember even as a six-year-old kid, I remember having these conversations when we would come home from church. And so the questions I had centered around what is a tradition of man? What is a command of God? What is the truth? Because somewhere along the line, I believed that everything written in this book is the inspired word of God. In fact, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I believe every word in this Bible is God-breathed, God-inspired. I don't have any issues with God's word. I have issues with the way people did church. The more I study the Bible, the more I'm convinced that Jesus is the son of God. That he came and he he came born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He he died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was the Lamb of God that we talked about uh, last week and the week before that takes away the sins of the world. He was buried on the third day on Easter Sunday. What we're celebrating next week with drive-in church. He was resurrected, so the tomb is empty. He rose from the grave, never to die again. And then over the next forty days after Easter Sunday, he appeared to different people. He appeared to women. He appeared to men. He he appeared to groups. individuals. And at one time, he actually appeared to over 500 people at the same time. I want you to say, that's a lot of witnesses. That's a lot of witnesses. Now, you may not believe 
all of this is true. You may be skeptical. And for those of you who are skeptical, today I want to look at this idea of belief. And we're going to use belief and faith uh, interchangeably. And here's, here's the, the question. If you were going to start your faith journey today, what role would belief, what role would, would faith play in your faith journey as a starting point today in 2020. So I want to just make some statements about belief and then we're going to open up the word of God and we're going to look at what it has to say. The first thing I want you to know about belief is belief is an ability. I believe it is an ability given to us by God and I don't believe any other thing in creation has this ability. For example, I do not believe my dogs have the ability to believe or have vision for their future. Every night I put my dogs in their kennel. And every night I give them a Scooby snack. Please tell me, if you're on Facebook, please tell me if you know what a Scooby snack is. It comes from Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? We've got some work to do now. John, I know you know this one. Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? Uh, I don't remember the next line. Anyway, if I watch this cartoon all of the time and Scooby would do anything for a Scooby snack. And here's what my dogs do. The moment I walk outside to put them in their kennel, they sniff my pockets and then they get all excited. They don't want to be petted. Honey actually does counterclockwise circles, about a dozen of them before we get to the kennel. Then inside the kennel, she'll do another three or four and then she'll sit down and she'll get her Scooby snack. They will do anything for a Scooby snack. I don't think my, my dogs are sitting there going, you know, I wish I had a place of my own. I believe if I really want a place of my own, I can get rid of this dude and have a place. I don't think my dogs do that. I know my cats don't do that. God gave us this ability. It's this ability to believe and it's from God. And, and it's, it's something that, that if you have a belief in something, it's going to cause your life to go a different direction. Second thing I want you to know about belief is it's a weapon. Wherever you point belief, stuff happens. Every problem that's ever been solved by anyone was solved because somebody believed it could be solved. Jesus actually said this. He said, faith, belief can move mountains. And I've been around all kinds of arguments about whether that's literal mountains or not. But I will tell you this. There are, um, there are medical mountains throughout history that have been moved because somebody believed it should, be, it should be changed. For example, there are childhood diseases that have been eradicated because somebody said, this, not only should this be eradicated, we're going to eradicate it because we believe it can be eradicated. Um, I believe that the coronavirus is going to be eradicated someday. I don't know what day that is. It's not next week. It's not Easter, but it's going to be someday. I believe that. There are all kinds of mountains that have been moved because somebody believed. There's educational mountains. People go to college because somebody believed they could go to college. They pass courses because somebody believed they could and they spoke into them. Racial mountains have been moved. We've had um, slavery that was, that was abolished in the United States because somebody said it should be and it will be abolished. I believe it should be abolished. We've had the civil rights movement. We have the women's rights movement because somebody believed. Belief can be a weapon for good or for evil. You're, our country started because somebody said that a government um, across the sea should not be able to tax us without representation and so they fought for the United States of America but belief is can be used for good or for bad we all know about Hitler uh, Mussolini Saddam Hussein Osama bin Laden the power of belief is staggering for good or for evil and they believed evil and and I think it's hilarious I actually looked this up this morning that um, that Hitler thought he could produce a, a, a superior race the Aryan race is going to be these blonde-haired blue-eyed guys that were going to be superior and in 1935 a young man named Jesse Owens set five world records and tied a sixth world record in 45 minutes not only that in 1936 in Germany right in front of Hitler he won four gold 
gold medals. And all the people in Berlin started cheering for this guy, not for the Aryan race. And I believe that Jesse Owens believed he could, he could change the world by running fast, by jumping a long ways in the long jump. And so, so here's what I want to tell you about this. If you ever have a choice to, to hang out with an optimist or a pessimist, always pick the optimist, even if the optimist is, is less educated, because there's studies, I've read about a study where, where optimists um, who are in the sales market, optimists actually outsell their more educated, pessimistic, um, uh, what am I trying to think of, individuals in, in the same industry. It's been shown wherever you go, truth is that... that um, Belief trumps IQ almost every time because if you believe it, it can happen. You've heard that seeing is believing. What I'm telling you is believing is seeing because if you believe something enough, you'll start to see it. That leads me to the next one. Belief causes us to look for evidence to support our belief. This is particularly true among Republicans and Democrats and independents. And libertarians and everyone else, once you believe something, you automatically look for evidence to support your belief. And you filter out the things that don't support what you believe. Just take the coronavirus. I see the things you've posted on Facebook. Those of you who believe that the coronavirus is going to be taken care of, you post certain things. And you say, see here. And you'll post it and you go, here, this, this supports my belief. And then you reject something else that, that doesn't support your belief. And you're like, oh, you can't trust that channel. You can't trust those people because they don't agree with you. This is just, I'm just making statements about belief today. And, and I want to tell you this, this one right here, this belief thing right here is the key to whether you're going to have a good marriage or a bad marriage. And, and good couples believe the best in each other. They see the best in each other. If you believe the best, you'll see the best. If you believe the best about your spouse and she's late, you don't come up with, with negative reasons. You think there must be a good reason that she's late. But if you believe the worst about your spouse, then you're going to come up with reasons. He's late again. I knew it. He's doing this, this, this. You do that long enough, you will cause your marriage to fail. If you believe in your spouse, you're going to see the best in your spouse. Well, that brings me to this last little belief thing. Belief is easy to maintain in community. Now, what I mean by that is, when you're in a group of people that are like-minded, not only are you allowing in information that supports your belief system, you have other people helping you keep out those things that don't support your belief system. And this is true in any community of shared belief. Rich people tend to think like rich people. Poor people tend to think like poor people. Did you know there's actually people around the world that think, why do Americans act like that? And if you're American, you'd go, well, because we're right but they think they're right. And it just depends on where you're coming from. Fraternity brothers think alike. Sorority sisters think alike. Even my unfraternity, the tall Lambda Gamma, the, the lonely guys, we had a shared belief that you shouldn't be in a fraternity. And that's how we started our unfraternity. There are so many denominations because of this. Somebody has said, here's the dividing line and we're not gonna take you if you don't believe this. And somebody else has said, here, there are so many denominations out there. Here's what I believe and this is why we do church the way we do. Behavior modification is not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And as far as I know, the Holy Spirit's job is filled and you don't have it and I don't have it. I'm supposed to love people, tell them the truth and allow the Holy Spirit to make behavior in someone's modification. Now, can you just imagine life without belief? If you couldn't project into the future, you'd have no hope. 
God gave us this ability so that we could see beyond the current circumstances to a better life down the road. If belief is used correctly, it can help you navigate your entire life. I'm studying right now the book of Daniel. And Daniel was written while the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. And, and the whole reason God gave Daniel all of these visions was to tell the Israel's, Israelites, it's not always going to be this way. It's going to be better in the future. There's going to be a day when I restore Israel. So he gives us prophecy even to give us hope. Now, I say all of that to say that when religion is used correctly, um, it can be used correctly or, or incorrectly when belief comes to religion. Let me say it that way. So how do we know which one it is? How do we know if someone is using it correctly or incorrectly? Well, for the past 30 years, I have gone to this word. I've studied this word. And if it says it, I do it. If it doesn't say it, I don't do it. If there's a gray area, I pray for God to give me wisdom. And, and my interpretation of what goes on in churches in religion comes down really to a statement that Jesus made in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 5. And here it is. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Tradition of the elders, remember that. Instead of eating their food with defiled hands. Now, this has nothing to do with hygiene. They washed their hands just like anybody else did before they ate a meal. I actually saw this a month ago. I was in Israel, and I saw the picture that they're talking about here. They were talking about ceremonially, ceremonially cleaning your hands, and you had a two-handled pitcher. So the handles were up here, and the flat part of the pitcher's over here. You would grab it with this part, and you would have to pour in a certain way so that the water would run off this way, because if you held your hands up and the water ran down, the dirty water would then defile your elbow. So you had to have it come down here. You had to have two handles because once you grabbed it with this hand, that made that part of the handle dirty. And then you had to grab it with the clean hand, the other handle, and pour it over this hand. And then you would be clean. That's what they're talking about. Not washing your hands like we do, but in between. Some of these guys were so serious about it that in between every course of the meal, they would go and they would get the pitcher and they would ceremonially clean their hands so that they could say to others, look at us. Look how religious we are, how pure, undefiled we are. Look how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied, uh, prophesied about you hypocrites. As it, is, as it is written, sorry, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Look what this says. Now, I, I actually color coordinated this, and I think Keith did it too on, on Facebook. You have let go of the commands of God. The commands of God is in green. If God commands it, you don't even have to pray about it. If, if God says to do it in his word, you don't have to pray about whether to do it. You do it. If God says don't do it in his word, you don't have to pray about that. That's foolishness and a waste of time. If God commands it, that's green light. You go and you do it. He says, you let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to, and I put this in red, human traditions. If it is human tradition and it has no basis in the scripture and it doesn't point us towards God, it's a red light. Stop doing it. And so when I look at religion, this is what I do. Is it, is it a command of God or is it a tradition of men? See, when we talked about this starting point, we went all the way back to what the Jews believed was the starting point of religion. God came to Abraham and called him to go from the Ur of the Chaldeans to what we now call the promised land, what is now Israel. The Jews believed that God promised that to Abraham, your, your, your descendants will be like the stars of the heavens. Um, and they'd have their own land. Many Jews today still believe that. I believe that too. And in 1948, when Israel became a, a recognized nation again, Christians all over the world were looking at their watches going, I think Jesus is going to come today by 6 p.m. Let's go outside and watch the skies because this was such a big world thing, world event that happened. 
Now, Jesus said this, and this is what we believe. Jesus said, salvation is from the Jews because it goes all the way back to Abraham through Isaac and all of those descendants till Jesus is the Messiah. Salvation is from the Jews, but not from their traditions. Salvation doesn't come from the traditions of men. It comes from God through the Jews. Now, we talked about Muslims. When I was in Israel, there, there are quarters in, in the old town. There's, there's the Muslim quarter, there's the Jewish quarter, there's the Christian quarter, and then I can't even remember the other quarter. Um, but the, it's actually divided off, and you go in different ones. Each one of those people believes different things. We believe what the Old Testament teaches through the Jews. But the Muslims believe that the angel Gabriel actually came to Muhammad and gave him re- revelation. The strange thing about this is if you study the Hebrew scriptures, every time Gabriel shows up, it has something to do with the Jewish nation, not the Arab nation. So 2,600 years after the beginning of the Jewish nation, Muhammad comes along and he says, oh, I had these revelations. And the angel Gabriel gave them to me. And it's not through Isaac, it's through Ishmael. And so his family started believing. And then all of a sudden, the Muslim religion is born 2,600 years after the Jewish nation was born. Christians believe, we believe what the Old Testament teaches, just as the Hebrews do, just as the Jews do. And then we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who has come uh, as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. So here's my deal. With all of the denominations, with all the different religions in the world, which one is right? And with coronavirus and earthquakes in Idaho, my kids are going, I think Jesus is coming by Easter. And when I was in Israel, one month ago I was in Israel. Three weeks ago I got back from Israel. And when we're in Israel, that's when all of this coronavirus was going crazy all over the world. It's when I looked on Facebook one night when I got internet access and I saw people posting pictures that toilet paper aisles were empty. And I thought, surely not in in Palestine. When I got home, the toilet paper aisles are empty. I don't even understand all of that. And then, I'm not making this up. So when we were about to fly out on the Friday, um, it was Friday, March 13th. We had gone back from... uh, from Old Town Jerusalem to our hotel and the taxi driver said, did you guys see the Medicaid that's going on? And we're like, what's a Medicaid? He goes, it's this massive storm in the Mediterranean. I'm not making this up. You can look it up. A hurricane in the Mediterranean Sea is so unusual, they call it a Medicaid for hurricane and, and Medi- uh, Mediterranean Sea. And so I look it up and people are going, we think the end of the world is happening because there's a Medicaid and we're thinking we're not getting out of Israel. We're going to die in Israel. Jesus, just come on, man, because world events are so crazy right now. How do you know what the truth is? So what I want to tell you is that even though the world is going crazy, I believe what this Bible states, God is always in control and he wins in the end. We know that the last. And so I'm going to tell you, I don't understand everything about life. I don't understand everything about God. I do not understand everything about women. <laughs> women, do you understand everything about men? No, thank you, Anne, for being so honest. You don't have to understand everything to believe. You don't understand electricity, most of you, other than Jeff Gillis. And you still use electricity. My point is you don't have to understand everything about God to believe in God. So here's the bottom line. Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. One more time. Don't stop Next line says, hold on to that feeling. And then, what is a streetlight, people? I don't know. But don't stop believing. That's the point. Belief is a gift from God. And here's what I want to tell you about the people closest to Jesus. Just a few things, and we're done today. 
when Jesus died, those closest to Jesus believed that he was dead. This is a big deal. See, the people that bring us the story later about Jesus, that write it down a few years later, they believed he was dead. After spending three years with him day and night, hearing the story, seeing the miracles, seeing Jesus go to sinners and be called a friend of sinners, seeing him rip the lips off of the religious leaders saying, you are whitewashed tombs, you're, you're hypocrites, you're snakes, you're vipers. All the time, um, they believed that he was the Messiah and now he's dead. So they believed he was dead. They believed that his teaching is what got him killed. Hey, Peter, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, I thought he was the Messiah, but obviously he's dead. We told him not to go to Jerusalem. He went anyway. Now he's gone. Now he's dead. It's over. Second thing, they believed that Jesus' followers were going to be next. Not only was Jesus killed, when we find Jesus' followers after his death, Friday, they're hiding in an upper room. Why are they hiding? For fear of the Jews. They think Jesus was killed. They're coming after us next. We're going to die next Third thing they believe, or they did not believe. I want you to understand, they did not believe this one. They did not believe he was going to be resurrected. Nobody, none of his followers were looking for an empty tomb when that happened. So they were not looking for evidence to support their beliefs. We thought he was the son of God, but if he was, he wouldn't have been crucified. If you'd ask his followers or anyone in Jerusalem that first Easter, who won? They would have said the Romans won, the Jews won, anybody but Jesus won. And this is unlike any other religious movement in history because every other time in, when a religious leader dies, he becomes a martyr and they, his followers get together to try to keep his memory alive, but not Jesus' followers. They were distraught. They were hiding. He, did, he, he died, so that means he can't be the Messiah. He wasn't who he said he was. So you Jesus' followers, what are you going to do? Are, are you going to... Are you going to tell people about Jesus? No, we're going to hide. We're going we're gonna to go fishing maybe. But other than that, we don't have any plans. You're not going to write down what he did. Why bother? He's dead. He's still in the grave. You're not going to go all over the world and tell people about Jesus? Big, fat, no. There's no point. We wasted our lives following him. He's dead. And we're probably going to die too. He wasn't who we thought he was. He died. The Messiah doesn't die. He died. He's staying dead. The end. And then that Sunday morning, the very first Easter, and for the next 40 days, something happened that changed them. It was the resurrection of Jesus. He started appearing to his people. So that 50 days later, all right, not 100 years later, not 50 years later, not 15 years later, 50 days, seven weeks, one day later, they start talking about Jesus. Not in some other city, in Jerusalem, where they had crucified him. And they said, he's alive. And if they could have, they would have produced a dead body of Jesus. Christianity would have died then, 50 days after Jesus supposedly rose, would have died. But it didn't because Jesus was alive. And here's what I want you to know. They began talking about Jesus, but they didn't tell his stories. They didn't tell the Sermon on the Mount, the most, the most um, incredible sermon in history. They didn't talk about the prodigal son. They didn't talk about the lost coin. They didn't, they didn't repeat any of those things. They went in the streets and they all had the same message. Seven weeks later, all of the apostles had a four-point message and here it is. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Say you're sorry. That's the message. From complete cowards, whenever Jesus died on that Friday, to 50 days later, in your face boldness. Hey, Joseph, hey, Ephraim, you were there. We heard you say, give us Barabbas. 
You Pharisees, you Sadducees, you were there. Oh, there's the high priest. You were there. You all wanted him crucified. You killed him. But it's okay because even our prophets, the great prophet Isaiah said this. I didn't put this on your listening guide if you want to write this down. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. Our great prophet Isaiah said, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Who was? The Messiah. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We, are, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You killed him, but that's okay. It was part of God's plan. God raised him. That was part of God's plan. We've seen him. Not just me. There's over 500 of us. Go talk to all of them. That's a lot of eyewitnesses. If you just line them up and listen to them for about 15 minutes, you're going to get finished on Thursday of this week hearing all of their testimony about Jesus being alive. We convict people on one eyewitness testimony. We've got over 500 who saw Jesus alive at the same time. It wasn't a hallucination. There is no such thing as a group hallucination where 500 people see the same thing at the same time that does not exist you need to say you're sorry because that's the only way you get into heaven and 20 years later a guy named Saul we talked about him several times in this series he hated Christians killed Christians put them in jail then he becomes a Christ follower becomes the most famous Christ follower of his day starts churches all over the Mediterranean Sea and he's in Athens we talked about this early on in this series here's what he says a long ways from Jerusalem he says this or the Bible tells us this. Some of them ask, some of the Athenians ask, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because, here it is, Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. 20 years later, that's all they've been preaching. The Jews killed him. The Romans killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. You need to say you're sorry. Paul didn't talk about the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't talk about all of the stories that Jesus... He said this in, in Acts 17, verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And here it is. Here's, he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. Do you know why the church survived the first century? Do you know why we do church even in the midst of this coronavirus separation junk? You know why we continue to do church? You know why I believe and why I think you should believe and why if you've walked away from Christ, you should reconsider Christ? It's because on that first Easter weekend, none of his followers believed, zero. No one expected him to come out of the grave. No one was a hero. No one could write later, oh, I believed. I just didn't tell anyone. I just wanted, didn't want anybody to know. Nobody. Their testimony, St. Matthew, St. Mark, St. Luke, St. John, St. Peter, all of the saints said we ran away and as cowards. We hid. We, were, we all lost the faith. That's their own testimony about themselves, about each other. And then they saw something. They didn't believe something. Believing's too easy. They saw something. They saw their risen Savior and something happened on the inside of them and they were changed for the next 20, 30, 40 years of the church. The message was the same. God has not just simply sent a prophet. That's too easy. There are prophets in other religions. There's lots of that. God has done something for the whole world. He's raised a man from the dead. We don't simply believe that Jesus was a good teacher and he taught true things. We believe something happened. And it's the foundation of our faith. We believe Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world that he was raised from the dead. The eyewitnesses were so extraordinarily convinced of, of what they saw that they would not shut up about Jesus and it got all of them but one killed. 
They all became martyrs for the faith. Fifty days before the resurrection, they were cowards. But once they had seen their risen Savior, they all died. They said, we're not going to shut up. The church was launched not because of the book. The, the New Testament wasn't written at that time. It was launched um, not because of the teaching of Jesus. Teach it, Jesus is a great teacher. It was launched because of something happened and that was the resurrected Savior. And so these men who were cowards came back and said, we saw it with our own eyes, take our lives, beat us, kill us. We're not dying for what we believe, we're dying for what we saw, and that was a resurrected Jesus. So the very first week of this series, I ask you, you've got to answer the question, who is Jesus? And here's what I want you to know. Before the resurrection, Jesus' own closest followers, if you had asked them that question, who is Jesus, they'd say, not who we thought he was. Messiahs don't die. So we're done. He was just a man. After the resurrection, post-resurrection, it changed them. And they said, it doesn't matter what you do to us. We will not stop talking about Jesus. So a single event changed how those closest to him answered the question, who is Jesus? And then Paul says this, and this is how we're going to finish today with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. Paul says, and he's talking to, to Christians in Corinth, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Look at this. Christ died. Everybody says he was dead for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. According to what scriptures? None of the New Testament was written according to the Old Testament scriptures. A dead savior can't save anyone. He was buried, he was raised the third day according to the scriptures, and then here it is, he appeared to Cephas. That's another name for, Paul, uh, for Peter. And then to the 12, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters, men and women at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. When Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, he was saying, if you don't believe it, go talk to them. There's a lot of them still alive. Even though there's not, may not be 500 to this point, 400 still a lot of eyewitnesses that are alive. Go ask them. Then he appeared to James. This is interesting to me. James was his half-brother who did not believe Jesus was the Son of God until he met him at the resurrection. And James became one of the first pastors of the first church in Jerusalem. Because when you see your brother predict his death and resurrection and then pull it off, you're going to say, he's the son of God. If one of you two did that, you'd think the other was the son of God, wouldn't you, right? Okay. Don't think there's any discussion about that, right? Okay, John and his brother, Bill. James, one who did not believe until he saw Jesus. And then look, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. If there is no resurrection, then you jump down to verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, and I, I got to tell you this, no other, no other religion says there's one thing. If you can disprove this one thing, our whole religion will fall apart. Our whole faith, the Christian religion does. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And look at this. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Jesus hasn't been raised, we're not going to be raised. However, if Jesus has been raised, every shred of evidence for Jesus being raised from the dead is evidence that we too, those of us who are adopted into his family, will one day be raised to, Christ, to walk with Christ in heaven, to be part of his family. So here's the last thing. We believe not because of what they said. It's way better than that. We believe because of what they saw, and there were so many of them who saw the resurrected Jesus. So this is a message for the whole world. There was proof. There's all kinds of eyewitnesses. There was a resurrection. 
And so you have to answer this question, and you have to answer it before you die. Who's Jesus? And if, as you wrestle with that question, I just want to challenge you to remember it was a single event that actually split B.C. into A.D., and I know now they call it B.C.E., which is supposed to stand for before the common era, and then C.E. is the common era, and I just, I just like to say B.C.E. is before Christ emerged, and then the C.E. is Christ emerged, and, and he, he's, he won. So the calendar is split in two by this one single event. There's one person who died never and was raised never to die again. It's Jesus Christ. So you got to answer that question, who is he? And then we're going to gather next week back here on the back parking lot in our cars with our radios turned up. We may let you honk the horns and flash the lights, turn on the blinkers. I don't know what that means. Maybe you're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you turn on your flashers, maybe that's what that is. We're going to celebrate the empty tomb. And we're going to pray like crazy that God brings all kinds of people into the kingdom of God because of a coronavirus scare that the enemy of God wants to use to, to shut down churches. But I'm looking around this room, and there's George and Rebecca pretty close to their seats, and, and Nicole and David are back there, and Chad and Cindy are over here, and John and Ann and Kennedy are there, but they're actually right there too. Um, there's Alyssa, there's Chase and Sandy, there's the Fitzgeralds and the Pences, and, and there's Brandy, and, and I see the... Uh, the Branson's over here and the Quicks over there. And, and I see, uh, oh, I see the Michael Lively's back there. Who else? Who's back there? Oh, Artis is on the door. That was pretty funny. They put him standing up on the door back there. There's uh, Matt and, and Laurel and Cameron are back there. Um, the reason I say this is because the gates of hell will never prevail against the church of God. The tomb is empty, and even though we can't, the room is mostly empty. The church, I, I love it on Facebook, it says that the church is not closed. The church has been deployed. And now is the time for us to pray. If, you're a, if, you're, if you've read The Circle Maker, now is the time to drive around the, the loop and be praying that God will do something, and this time we'll look back on and, and not even believe if he told us ahead of time. That's the power of our God. The Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you his followers, for whatever problem you face. Coronavirus is a blip. There's going to be another virus next year and another virus probably after that. But our God is on his throne. He's in control, and we don't have to be afraid. In fact, I said this a couple weeks ago, Psalm 118.6, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? No offense, but you're immortal, you're immortal, you're immortal. Mortal, 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 mortal. And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm going to die of the coronavirus, but even if I do, Paul said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I were to die of the coronavirus, and I am not trying to speak prophetically here at all, but if I were to die of the coronavirus, Chuck Washburn, Bess Washburn, Cheryl Dacus, Damon Dacus, my, my relatives that, are, that have gone on before me who are probably in heaven praying for me to hurry up and get there and all of our loved ones to hurry up and get there so that we can have our eternal home. This world is not my home. It's not your home either. 
I pray that you'll come and join with us. We'll still broadcast next week on Facebook if you can't be here. But if you can, let's come and let's worship together even though we're apart. I'm so sick of this, together apart. But we're going to do it in the parking lot. We'll get closer than we ever have been during the coronavirus. And we'll celebrate the risen Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we praise you that you're in control and that no matter what happens, no matter who's the president of this country, any other country, kings, queens, we don't care. You're in charge. You showed that to Nebuchadnezzar years ago uh, in the kingdom of Babylon. You have shown that um, throughout history that you are in control and your enemy desperately wants to distract people from you. God, we pray that, that in this time of 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 uh, uncertainty and anxiety that will cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. And so God, help us to be a light in this time. Give us wisdom if we need to reach out to someone and somehow help them. God, change the world, change your church through this experience. And we pray that you magnify your name. And we pray that next week we can celebrate together that empty tomb. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.